0: good morning. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Mount Horb, and it's a joy and an honor to be able to stand before you on the very first Sunday of the new year. So you made it, 2020, pat yourself on the back. Good job. I don't know how you felt about 2019, but I was kind of the guy that at 930 at night on New Year's Eve, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm ready to go to sleep and be finished with, with this thing and, and start afresh the next year. I was just done with 2019, but I happened to have an eight-year-old son who was like, no, I'm staying up till midnight. I'm like, no, you're not. He's like, yes, you are. So everyone went to sleep in my house, including my wife, my sweet baby, except for me and Eli. And we sat there in the living room and waited until it turned midnight. No fanfare, no ball dropping, just sitting there, waiting for it to say 1200. And then it did, and I'm like, well, we did it. Promptly to bed. Like I had that kind of new year. Anybody else in the room can relate to what I'm talking about right now? But it's 2020. And you've made it here, which is a very, very good thing. And maybe for me, it's just like what it feels like when you're 36 years old, you got three kids, you kind of limp into the end of last year to be able to start a brand new year. But what I'm convinced of in my past is that every single year, there are people who are one of two people. Either you're someone who's here this morning, like you drank your coffee, you're brighter than you should be, and you're ready for a brand new year. It's exciting to you. You're ready to be done with what took place. You're putting it behind you. You're ready and raring to go to a brand new year right ahead of you. Or maybe you're someone here this morning. This is a scary thing because at least in 2019, you knew what to expect. And there's this whole brand new year ahead of us. We have no idea what it could be, what it's going to be. And for some of us, it's incredibly scary and terrifying to know that there's something completely uncharted that's ahead of us. But like it or not, whether you're one of those two people, here we sit. In 2020. And the question is this: what will this year be? What will it be? I remember uh, the most memorable new year uh, for me, and if you're my age or older, you remember this, uh, was when the year turned from 1999 to 2000, because it was the end of the world. And so I remember being a junior in high school, <clears throat> terrified, because all I'd been hearing for months, even years, was: this is the end. Like, when we get to 2000, there's this computer glitch. It's going to cause everything to go crazy. All transportation will stop. No one will have any food. Everything will be devastated, and no one's going to make it. So as a junior in high school, 1999, I'm like, this better be the best New Year's ever because this is it. Boom. So all my high school friends we like, played board games, as we always do anyway, waiting for 2000 to roll around. I had some friends whose parents were like, you're not going anywhere. You're staying at home this year. It's 1999, Y2K, you're not going out. So they had to stay home. But guess what? Everyone in the room who was alive at that point in time, no matter how you felt about it, you watched the ball drop too, right? And it was three, two, one, and nothing. (laughs) Nothing happened. In fact, we rolled into 2000 just like it was in 1999. Nothing took place, nothing that was promised, it failed miserably, and here's why. Every one of us as humans, we are miserable, awful, terrible at predicting the future, None of us can do it. None of us are good at it. I'll give you an example even further besides just 1999 to 2000, Y2K. Here's here's a couple of famous quotes from the past that help show us, once again, we know nothing about the future. This is the first one from DECA Recording Company after they declined the Beatles in 1962. Here's what they said. We don't like their sound and guitar music is on its way out. Nailed it. Right? How about this one? This is a Western Union internal memo from 1876. It says, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no use to us. That worked out pretty well. How about 20th Century Fox in 1946 says, television won't last because people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Which is kind of true. It's plastic now, but you get the point. How about this one? New York Times in 1936 said, a rocket will never be able to leave Earth's atmosphere. And then lastly, Thomas Watson, the president of IBM in 1943 said, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. You know what's so shocking to me? That's his space, right? There's probably five computers that could exist worldwide. Here's what's true. And you probably know this. We are not very good at predicting the future, We're not very good at looking out ahead and saying, here's what's coming. And so even as we look ahead at 2020, not one of us in this room can really say for sure, here's what's going to take place. Here's what's going to happen. And so as we begin this brand new year, we thought it'd be important to start with this series called Hindsight, because these miscues, along with others, can teach us a very important lesson about how we live our lives. And it's this. We were never created to predict the future. We were created to prepare for the future. Those are two vastly different things. Because we don't know what's ahead, what we have to do is prepare for whatever could possibly be ahead. Because it's all a mystery. It's yet to be revealed. It hasn't happened yet. And so, for the best way for us to move forward, if we don't know what's ahead, maybe the best thing we can do is to slow down for a moment and instead of looking forward, actually look back and find out what can be learned from our past. What can we learn from hindsight that can help inform our foresight? What can we learn from where we've been to help us with where we're going? The world of psychology introduced us to a term called hindsight bias. Now, if you're somebody who's like smarter than me and didn't go to school for youth ministry, you might know this already. But I was reading this this week, being totally blown away by this concept of being of hindsight bias. And here's what it means. Have you ever been to a movie with someone and you get to the end of the movie and there's like all kinds of twists and turns, you're not sure where it's going, you get to the end, you look at your friend, you're like, wow, and they're like, I knew it all along. You're like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. I knew it was that dude. I knew this thing was gonna happen. And they, they try to play it off like they knew exactly what was gonna happen. This is called hindsight bias. So if you ever seen the movie Inception, Sixth Sense, Interstellar, Knives Out, all of these movies have all kinds of twists and turns. You don't know where it's going. But if you get to the end, you've ever experienced yourself saying, I knew it all along. Of course it had to happen like this. It's hindsight bias. Because what happens is, too often, as we look into our past, as we look with hindsight, we can convince ourselves, our minds will play tricks and help convince us that we knew it all along. It all makes sense now. And I knew it even way back then. But here's the truth. Oftentimes, if we're honest, we did not know. And what can happen is we actually have memory distortion. We can rewrite the, the history, rewrite the past, and convince ourselves that we knew exactly what was going to happen. And when we do this, we might convince ourselves that we can know what's going to happen in the future as well. And that can be a dangerous, dangerous way to live. I knew what would happen then. Of course, I know what's going to happen in the future. Because what happens is we overestimate then our abilities to control our lives, We overestimate our ability to control our lives, and we underestimate the one who actually does. And it can cause us to not learn lessons from our past. You see, the mistakes, the failures, the pain, even the successes, there are some lessons to be learned here in our past if we look at them honestly, not rewritten, not remembering the way we want to remember them, but remembering them for how they actually were. There are some lessons that in the hands of God can cause us to experience the life that God has always wanted for us. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about our future and our past. From, from beginning to end, there's a lot to be said about how we interact with our past, how we interact with our future. I think it's important for us to be able to look back and find out what lessons can be learned here so that I can apply them in the future. And I want to start in a place that maybe, maybe oddly enough, we don't think about often, and that's Our future. Our future. So when I moved to South Carolina from Indiana, it was basically a 12-hour commute that I started making multiple times a year. I would drive home 12 hours, oftentimes throughout the night because I thought I was invincible, and I would drive all the way back to Indiana, and if you've ever driven to Indiana, none of y'all probably have, from South Carolina, you don't often go there. When you make it all the way there, you find out there's all kinds of spots between here and there that are completely boring, nothing going on. And so when I'm driving back, oftentimes in the middle of the night, I had to keep myself busy to be able to make it back to South Carolina. And so I would often have podcasts that I would play in my car, put on my phone, put on my computer, and I would listen to them as I would drive to keep myself awake, keep myself busy. And there was one time when I was in college, almost finishing up college, that to be honest with you, my life was a wreck. Like there was all kinds of areas of my life that were not being lived the way that I should have been living them. There was a string of relationships that had gone bad, and they were, to be honest, my fault. There was all kinds of things that I was doing that were, that were not healthy for me in any kind of manner, but I didn't know how to get past it. I was having trouble figuring out how to navigate all this, but I was very frustrated. So I was driving through the mountains of Tennessee, and as I was listening to this one podcast, the title of the podcast was called The Power of a Focused Life, which sounds good. So I was listening to this podcast, and this, this reader, or this, this, uh, this speaker on this podcast, began to speak this scripture that I'd never heard before. And I'm going to be honest with you, right there in the middle of the mountains, listening to this podcast, this one scripture absolutely transformed my life. I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that over the next 75 miles, 100 miles, my whole life got turned upside down in a really, really good kind of way because of this one passage. And here's what he read. It's from the book of Proverbs. He says this in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so if we're going to take a look at our future first, this passage right here pulls back the curtain on what I believe is plaguing almost every single person in this room this morning. And what I think that is, is that most of us never live our life day in, day out with any kind of vision for who God wants us to be. None. So for most of us, we're trying to figure out what we're going to eat tomorrow, what we're going to wear tomorrow, we don't think any further than that based upon a vision that doesn't come from just yourself, but it comes from God. So we lack motivation. We lack direction. We lack discipline because we lack vision. And the Bible says where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. They don't last. And so, of course, without a vision for our life that would come from God, it makes sense that we'd be frustrated with our life. It makes sense that we'd be lost spinning our wheels, addicted, destined to repeat past experiences that were unpleasant over and over and over again because we don't have a vision for who God wants us to be. And here's the problem. If we don't have a vision for who God wants us to be, someone else around us will give us a vision. They'll tell us who we should be. And oftentimes, that vision comes from culture. That vision comes from the crowd. That vision comes from parents or even peers But this vision, if it doesn't come from God, it's not one worth having. It's like trying to live your life without really knowing where you're headed. So my kids, anybody else in the room have children who have Lego sets? And every single Lego set we've ever had in our entire life, there's this thing that my children love to do, and that is to open them at inopportune times. And I will say to them, do not open that box of Legos until I tell you to, or that box of Legos will be in the trash. And guess what they do every single time? Sorry, Dad, I already opened it. And every time there's pieces that go missing. Every time there's instructions that go missing. What do you know It happened at Christmas? But the problem is, even though the instructions were gone, my son Owen was like, we're still putting this thing together. So there I am with Owen trying to put this Lego set together without having any clue of what it's actually supposed to be. I'm Googling stuff, trying to figure out how to put it all together. And the problem is, you use one piece in this location, you find out 13 steps later, that piece is actually supposed to go here. This is what it's like in our life to live without any kind of vision, to just live day to day, 24 hours by 24 hours. We make this decision, we find out later on, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I actually should have done this thing. But when we have a vision that comes from God, it transforms the way that we live. When we have a vision from God, I believe it helps us understand the future that God has for us, and I believe it helps change us into the people that God wants us to be without having an instruction of some kind, the outcome is never gonna be positive. But when we spend the time, and I mean this, when we spend the time listening to God on behalf of our life, when we spend time opening the Bible, the scriptures, the revelation that has already come from God, saying, God, who do you want me to be? Who have you designed me to be we can develop a God-sized vision for who we are and who God wants us to be in the future. So as I was driving, listening to this Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish, I got back to South Carolina, I wrote it everywhere. I wrote it on my mirror, in my house, I wrote it in my wallet, I put it in my Bible, I put it everywhere, Proverbs 29, 18, because I never wanted to live another day in my life without a vision that comes directly from God. And guess what? It hasn't happened. I've done really good sometimes. Other times I've found myself living the way I want to live. But there's an intention and a time that has to take place where we step back and say, God, would you speak to me? Would you tell me in 2020, who's the person that you want me to be? Get into the Bible, actually read it and say, God, who have you designed me to be? How do you want me to live? And when we do this, When we make this space, I believe that what it changed in my life was I became a person who valued, knowing that I was loved by God, I didn't need a relationship to tell me that. I knew it for myself. What it did in me is I began to find myself working hard to remove the sinful attitudes and ways that I was living that I kept away from everybody else. I found myself actually pouring and investing in the lives of people because I felt like that was the most important thing I could do with my life. It was a part of the vision that God had given for me. I began to forgive my past. Instead of letting it hold me and own me, I let it go because God has other things for me. This is the beginning of realizing that God has a vision for who you are. And when we live a vision, here's what happens in our life. If you have a vision, you will live every single day in line with that vision. And one day you'll wake up and you'll find out you are that person that God has destined you to be. One day you wake up and realize I'm a generous person you wake up and realize my countenance has softened. I'm looking for opportunities to bless people. I'm having victory in areas that were sin that I was defeated in for for who knows how long. Because each day I've decided to love people, anyone I come across. Because each and every day I've gotten up and worked out. I'm actually not, but I'm going to. It's a small thing, but it's a big thing to get up and work out. Discipline yourself to write in a journal, to cherish God's word and actually read it daily to make that appointment, to meet with that counselor, to forgive that person again, to choose to be generous, to work hard, and to go to bed at night accomplished, to not make decisions because you feel pressured to, because you feel convicted to, and choosing to be grateful. These are the kinds of things that can change our life. But it only comes from knowing the vision that God has for you and living it out each and every day. And one day you become the husband, the father, the wife, the mother, a blessing to your family. The child is a blessing to their family. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. We have to know where we're headed. This year could be special. This year could be different. This year could be different for your life, for your family, for your business, and for your community. But it's going to start here. Who has God called you to be? What does your future look like based upon that? And if we're going to look forward As the series says, I think we first have to look back. What are the lessons that can be learned there in the past so we can apply them in the future? Because we don't know what's to come, but we know where we've been. God, teach us something to apply. See, in the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of rich language around vision and the way that we should live. The writers touch on almost every single aspect of our life as they write through the book of Proverbs. There's rich imagery that can help us learn how to live, and sometimes that imagery is even shocking but it's shocking for a reason. And so in Proverbs 26, verses 11 through 12, as we look back in the past with hindsight, here's what the writer says in Proverbs 26. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Now, this is a biblical way of referring to a person who lacks vision. The Bible over and over calls them fools. People who do the same thing over and over and over again, making mistakes over and over and over again. And the Bible says it's like a dog who returns to its vomit, to which everyone in the room says, gross. And you should. And that's the point. The writer is wanting you to see how disgusting, what a mess it is to go back to past mistakes over and over and over again. In this new year, we cannot allow ourselves We cannot allow people that we love to continue to fall back into these past patterns that are a mess over and over and over again. Because here's the thing. When you repeat a mistake, it's no longer a mistake. Now it's a decision. When you repeat a mistake, it's not a mistake anymore. Now it's become a, a decision. Now it's a pattern for your life. And so if we're really honest, if we look back in our past without hindsight bias, being real, basically saying, listen, Wherever I go, there I am. So potentially this issue that's followed me along potentially is something in my life. And if I look back and I'm honest, there might be a string of relationships that have never gone the way I wanted them to. And it might be this pattern that shows up often within my life. And this pattern has to be broken. There has to be something new introduced. Or potentially you look back and there's this addiction that shows up over and over and over again. It's a substance, it's a website, it's a behavior of some kind and it shows up over and over and over like a dog returning to its vomit so a fool returns to his folly and it's a pattern within our life that has to be broken maybe it's the way you treat your employees or your coworkers or the way you treat your boss it's a pattern that has to be changed has to be broken maybe it's your indifference to the injustices in the world looking around and instead of doing something about it we continue to focus our on our indulgences these aren't mistakes anymore a repeated mistake is a decision that we willfully make. And these patterns have to be broken. There's a man that I used to meet with often during my college career and after named Huli Goddard, who was a friend of mine from a long time ago when I was a, a young kid. He was a youth pastor in my community. And I, I found him again in college. And afterwards, we'd meet often. And I'll be honest with you, for years, whenever we'd meet, he'd ask me really pointed questions. And I'd kind of invited him into my life to help me grow and change. And he'd ask me these questions. But over and over again, I would lie to him. So he'd tell me something. I'd tell him just enough that we get past that question. That was a little uncomfortable, and we could be able to move to the next question. And this happened a long, long time over and over and over again. And I remember finally realizing this is a complete waste of time. If I'm not going to be honest with him, nothing is ever going to change in my life. And so finally, I was honest. Here's the real deal. Here's what I struggle with. Here's where I fail. Here's what my past looks like. Here's what I can't let go of. I don't know what to do. I remember I used to get so frustrated because there were these certain patterns within my life that I could never seem to get past. They happened over and over again. I would return over and over again. And every time I did, I would spin out of control. I feel like for a month it would take me time to realize God did love me still and I could still be a part of ministry and so forth. And I had this major issue. And Huli said to me one day, you cannot evaluate your life day upon day. Because when you do, change happens so slowly you'll be frustrated every single time. You look back and you're like, I did it again yesterday. And you look the next day and I did it again yesterday. And we get so frustrated. He said, you have to look at your life in patterns. So he said, here's only what I want you to see, Trevor. Over the past year, when you would make a mistake, it would take you a month to recover. But eventually you made a mistake and it would take a week to recover. And eventually it might be a day or so. And eventually you began to realize that grace was extended to you every single time. You didn't spin out. You were able to still function. And he said, here's the best thing. Those patterns Some of them don't exist anymore because you've slowly but surely seen them go away. If there are things in our life, in our honest assessment, looking back in our hindsight, if there are lessons to be learned, things that we've returned to over and over and over again, perhaps this is God's way of saying that pattern must be broken. Learn the lesson in the past and apply it in your future. Don't do it anymore. And sometimes this change is hard because we don't know what to expect. Sometimes it's, it's easy to stay the same rather than change. But until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change, you will always remain exactly where you are. I don't think that's what God intends for us. And in, in fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, is a man who is fully acquainted with living a life Both aware of your past and at the same time realizing God has called us to someplace new. And so the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he's writing to these folks in Philippi. And he's trying to show them that God is moving them towards something new. Even though there's some stuff in the past that we've got to move past. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 through 14. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining on toward what is ahead. Immediately previous to chapter 3, what Paul has just unloaded for the people in Philippi is this whole discussion about resurrection. It's the hope of all people. Jesus Christ, he died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And you, as a follower of Jesus, you'll experience the same thing, a new life, a fresh start. But Paul says, but I've not yet attained it. It Hasn't happened yet. I'm still in process, to which everyone in the room should say, amen. Because we all are. None of us are who we were. But by God's grace, none of us are who we're becoming. God is still working in our life. And Paul is expressing this as he writes in Philippians chapter three. We're somewhere between who we were and who we're becoming. Now when Paul says, "forgetting what's behind," he doesn't literally mean wiping your mind and completely not remembering any of it. Here's why I know. In the Greek, this word doesn't literally mean to wipe your mind or your conscience. It's actually to look past or look over. And Paul, in other places in the New Testament, he's clearly writing about his past. He says, "I am the chief of sinners. I know where I've come from." I know what I've done. Other places, he he seems to talk about his Jewish roots. He's aware of who he was. But he's also completely aware of who God is wanting him to become. So he says, forgetting what is behind, overlooking what is behind, looking past what is behind, I strain forward to what Christ has called me to. Perhaps some of us in the room this morning can learn from what Paul says here. Because for some of us, the past we have to realize it's a place of learning, but it's not a place of living. The past is where we learn things, not where we live. So for some of us in the room this morning, you're sitting here in 2020 physically, but in your mind and your heart, you're not here. You're still in 2019. Some of us we're still in like 1987. Because there's this thing that happened, there's this person, there's this mistake. There's this business deal. There's all these things in our past. We've never been able to look over it or get past It's still there. And it keeps us from moving forward. We're like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite throwing footballs a quarter mile, even though it's long past us. And for some of us, this is tragic because Jesus has things for us that are ahead of us. But if we're still living in the past, we'll never realize it. I think hindsight can help us experience all that God has for us because we can live in this certain tension that, that looks like this. We can learn from our past, we can learn something here, we we can prepare for our future, but at the same time we've got to live right here in the present. Because right now is the only thing that we're guaranteed. We we have no idea what's to come. And, and we can't rewrite what's happened. This is where we live, in the present. And there's a tension here that Paul addresses, forgetting what is behind, overlooking what's happened, because Christ has called me forward. It's a tension. And so as you came in this, this uh, auditorium this morning, I gave you a rubber band to which every parent was like, thank you, Trevor. But I want to take that rubber band, and I want you to just pull it, make it, give some tension to it. I want you to feel what it's like to live in the world that we live within, somewhere between where we've come from and yet not where we're going. With a past behind us, but a future ahead of us, there's a tension. And it feels like sometimes we get pulled one way or the other, and it's hard to let this thing go and and go to this thing because some of us in the room, we need to realize there are some tensions in our life that we have to rest in. We've got to keep because we've got to learn something here. But some tensions in our life we've got to let go of because they're keeping us from what God has for us in the future. I'll give you an example. Last week, my children had been out of school for what felt like a year. And so my wife and I decided we were going to take them and we're going to go to the museum. Because my kids love the museum, like the state museum, like the big people museum. And so we went to the museum. We walked around and saw everything. It was like an hour before closing, so nobody was there. They started running amok everywhere. And we get to one portion within the museum, and it's South Carolina history. And so my son and I, my eight-year-old, he and I are walking around, and I'm showing him all this stuff, and we're looking at everything to see and reading all these things. And you come to the point where it starts talking about slavery as a historical piece of South Carolina and the South. So I was explaining to Eli, listen, this is a dark time in our history as a nation where people were enslaved because of the color of their skin. So we started reading things and walking through this, and Eli looked at me and said, yeah, but I didn't do that. You're right. I didn't either. But it's still a part of our past. It's still a part of our history. You see, some people would love to just say, let's let's move past that. It's a long time ago. Let's move forward. But the truth is, this is a tension that we have to sit in. There's something to be learned here. And we can't just speed past it. This tension should be rested in that we might learn for the future. But some of these tensions... Some of these tensions aren't helpful at all. And so for some of us in the room this morning, there's this relationship that was like years ago, and it ended. You think about it all the time. There's this business deal, and you run it through your mind constantly because if you just would have done this thing or that thing, maybe things would have been different, but, but it's not. You made this mistake, and it affected all kinds of people, and so because it affected all kinds of people, you can't let it go. You can't move forward. You can't move on. You just hold it there. And the thing is, with these kinds of tensions... Not the ones you rest in but the ones that you should release if they stay they can't stay forever and eventually they break and when tensions break what it could look like is a faith that's forgotten it could look like a bridge that gets burnt that can't be repaired these kinds of broken tensions have all kinds of devastating effects, hopelessness, a stagnant life that we never get to move on from. You see, some tensions in our life between the past and the future, we gotta sit in them because there's something that we have to learn. But some tensions, we gotta let them go. We gotta release them, otherwise we'll never experience all that God has for us. And here's the hard part. How do you know which ones to hold on to, which ones to let go of? I wish it was easier. But it's the Spirit of God as we spend time listening to him, hearing from him, as we open his word and find out the revelation that he's already given to us, this is how we determine which tensions do we rest in and which ones do we release. I think the way that we handle these two things reveals to a lot of us in the room this morning how we actually understand grace. So I'm afraid that some of us don't. There's a story about this Catholic woman and she started having these visions of Jesus in this little community. And so the local bishop came out, because you can't just have Jesus visions everywhere. And so she, he came out to talk to her. He said, Hey, uh, excuse me, ma'am, you've been having visions of Jesus? And she said, Yes, I have. He said, Well, um, I'd like to know more about this. So uh, here's what we're going to do. If, if you see Jesus again, if he shows up again, he speaks to you, and you have this, this vision with him, would you do me a favor, ask him one question? If you see Jesus, ask him, What were the sins that I confessed in my last confession? So the woman said, okay. Say, said, can you do that for me? Yes. So he leaves. A few days later, he hears word again that this woman has seen Jesus once again. So he shows back up at the house. He says, man, have you seen a, a vision of Jesus? She said, yes, I have. He says, okay, did you ask him the question? She said, yes, I did. And so he leans in and he says, what did he say? And the woman took his hand, looked him right in the eye. And she said, these were his exact words. I don't Remember. Don't remember. One of the reasons that we find ourselves stuck between where we've come from and where we're going, because we don't understand the kind of grace that God gives to us that we can't earn, that you can't make happen, that you can't control. This is grace upon grace upon grace that's given by God to all people in all circumstances. And when we understand this kind of grace, the kind of grace where God would say, I don't remember, it's past history. That's the kind of grace that allows us as people the way Paul would look over where we've come from, to learn the lessons there so we can apply it to the future and become the people that God has intended for us to be, to live out the God-given vision for our life, whatever that might look like. And so this week, I'd encourage you, if you've got a rubber band that you've not broken yet, keep that on your wrist. Let that be a reminder this week of the tensions that we experience each and every day to help us determine which ones should we release, which ones should we rest in, what lessons are yet to be learned, how do we apply them? And we as a church, as individuals, could experience all that God has for us in this new year. I got a feeling there's something special this year. And even in the midst of all that you read, on Facebook, on the internet, on the news, I don't think God's done. I think he's got more for each and every one of us, in us and through us. Let's pray together. Father God, I wanna take a moment just to say thank you I'm so grateful, God, that you didn't see me in my past as something that was not worth investing in, but instead you sacrificed your very life for a punk college student like me. The truth is, God, you did it for every single person in this room because you know, you knew what would happen if we were to recognize the kind of grace that you've offered us, that we couldn't pay for, that we couldn't earn, but you give so freely. And so this morning, God, maybe just in everyone's mind, maybe even physically, would you help take our hands that are gripped so tightly on past mistakes, past failures, even past successes. May you pry our fingers open, God, that we might receive all that you have for for us this year. We wait on you. We need you. And if we're honest, as we look back, we can see you in every step of the way working within our life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.